Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we discuss pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julie Washington, and on today's show, my guest is Dana Coster, and we will be discussing Clueless. Clueless made its theatrical debut on July 19th, 1995 and starred newcomer Alicia Silverstone, Paul Rudd, Brittany Murphy, Stacey Dash, Donald Faison, Brecken Myers, and so many more. A modern telling of Jane Austen's Emma, Clueless was a smash hit with critic reviews, mostly positive. And all these years later, this film is still loved by everyone. But before we dive into the discussion, I want to introduce you to my guest. Dana Coster has earned degrees from UC Berkeley and Cornell University. From 2011 to 2013, she was a Wallace Stinger Fellow. Her first collection, Binary Stars, was published by Carolina Wren Press in 2017. Dana's poems have appeared in multiple print magazines like Indiana Review and the Cincinnati Review, just to name a few. She lives in Modesto, California with her husband and two children, where she works as a wedding photographer. And for the past six years, Dana has also worked as one half of the art project Broadsides with her collaborator painter, Chelsea America. And friends at home, you should know that literally every wall of my house has some form of Broadsides artwork. So clearly I'm a fan and I'm very excited she's here today. Welcome to the show, Dana. Hello, Julia. Hi. It's good to be here. I'm excited you're here. I feel like I need people at home to understand that um, we talk in the DMs on Instagram. That's my whole social life at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> and that you curate the best Instagram stories known to man. So I appreciate you for that. It's because I'm terminally online. Yeah. <laughs> They're just, they're just too real. Some of the stories you find, it's just like, oof, that's just real. And also I need to send the laughing, crying emoji. <laughs> okay. Let's do a quick summary to refresh everyone about Clueless, even though I feel like if you're on the planet and over the age of 15, you should already kind of know what this movie is, but friends, I'm going to warn you. I didn't write this. I pulled it from Google. Shallow, rich, and socially successful Cher is at the top of her Beverly Hills High School's pecking scale. Seeing herself as a matchmaker, Cher first coaxes two teachers into dating each other. Emboldened by her success, she decides to give hopelessly klutzy new student Ty a makeover. When Ty becomes more popular than she is, Cher realizes that her disapproving ex-stepbrother was right about how misguided she was and falls for him but honestly like who wouldn't fall for Paul Red? like let's just be real I think we all have yeah yeah <laughs> In his 1995 review, Roger Ebert said, quote, Clueless is a smart and funny movie and the characters are in on the joke. Variety had a similar sentiment. They said, like an episode of Beverly Hills 90210 on Helium, Clueless is a fresh, disarmingly bright, and at times explosively funny comedy, well worth a trip to the mall, even if it eventually runs out of gas. 
so there's a, there's a couple of hills I'm willing to die on. And one of them is I'm actually kind of overreading the Brits in school because I feel like I've done it a lot. But the second is, and I will fight on this one, when modern retellings are developed from the likes of Shakespeare and Austin, we have a long lasting cultural expression that is relatable, delightful, and funny. Or in the case of Shakespeare, like really dark and tragic. <laughs> Director Amy Heckerling was interviewed in Town and Country magazine for the 25th anniversary of the film's release and where she explains how she came up with Clueless. She said, quote, I started to think, what if there was a teenage girl who no matter what was happening, couldn't have her bubble burst? I was wondering about this particular character. What are the best bones for a three act feature? And I remembered I had read Emma in college. Then I reread it and everything in it was so perfect and so relatable in that time period or any other time period, really, because she's so wise that I started to think of what the equivalent would be in a world I was living in, in California in the 1990s. How could I turn that into a teen comedy for the present time? End quote. So Dana, let's just start from the beginning. Tell me about when you first saw this film, how old you were, and what is it about this movie that you love? Um, so I think that I was about 12 when it came out. So it, it was very strange to rewatch it as an adult, especially one that has a kid that's like kind of going through adolescence a little bit. So like I, my kids are younger than teenagers, but I can feel that on the horizon mm-hmm. but because I was about my kid's age when it came out. So when it came out, it felt like it was this portrait of like what high school was gonna be like. Yes. You know, especially being in Southern California where I grew up, um, I wasn't like that really (laughs) for the most part, but but it was, so much of it was over my head. It was really interesting to rewatch it. I've rewatched it since the nineties, obviously, but not in a while. And I was looking at it and just thinking like, I didn't understand any of these jokes yeah I was 12 you know but there was something about it that was charming no matter what age I was you know yeah. I still I think I come back to it because it's um it's one of the many movies from the 90s that is very campy mm-hmm. it's a comedy and it's on I mean like like the thing you read said it was it's on helium yeah you know and even the titles are really like there's like slime green and like pink the font is really jaunty and I think the intro must have had like four different songs in two minutes I mean it was just it just goes 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 in some ways it um it feels more like a modern movie just because the pace is so fast yeah I love when she's like I know this feels like an eczema commercial right but like it's not it's my totally normal life or however she says it I'm just like yeah it does kind of feel like a tv commercial thanks share like I don't get to lay by a pool like that but I wanna I like that moment it was very self-aware because it opens on this ridiculous montage of these like rich teenagers and you know shopping and in the pool and I was like what the fuck is this opening yeah. <laughs> And then she immediately like skewers it by saying like, I know what you're thinking. This must yeah. seem a commercial. Yeah. I loved, I, I just love Cher. I think that she's, well, like, I think exactly what the director set out to do this bubbly character who cannot be you know dissuaded in her joy and happiness and throughout the whole film, regardless of what happens to her, she's still like, happy and joyful and helpful like this scene when she gets um 
kicked out of Elton's car and then like gets robbed. And she's like, no, but you don't understand. <laughs> her dress is like super expensive designer wear. And she's just like, I can't get on the ground. Like what? It was a great scene. She's very sweet. I find the character very endearing. And I think that um, the movie makes a very big point of the fact that she, she might be sort of naive or come off as ditzy, but she's not stupid. She's mm-hmm. like, everybody at the school is actually very smart. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of it. It makes it feel like they're in on the joke mm-hmm. or she's in on the joke. You know, she seems aware of what's happening, even not of everything, because like I said, she is pretty naive. It was pretty startling to realize that they were 15 in it because mm-hmm. it's so young. Yeah. Yeah. And like you, I was I think I was the first time I saw it, I was 12, but it had already been out. I saw I wasn't. My parents had a hard fast rule. I couldn't watch PG-13 movies until I was 13. And so I saw it on VHS at my friend's house, uh, you know, in the, no, you know, yeah, mom, I'm just going to go to my friend's house kind of way. Like they didn't know. And <laughs> like you, it was like, oh, this might be aspirational for high school. So cool. No, <laughs> not true. But it was just kind of like, they felt so grown up to me. Yeah, that was a really strange thing to watch it now because they really, especially that moment that you mentioned where she gets mugged. Mm -hmm. She's just such a little kid. Like she just doesn't, she's got a gun pointed at her and she just is worried about her jacket. Yeah. Because I I mean, I think when you're 15, you think you'll live forever. Right. But yeah, when it came out, it just, they felt like they were so grown up and they were talking about sex, none of which I understood, Mm -hmm. you know most of those jokes were way over my head when it came out. Yeah. Same, same. I did appreciate, um, oh, actually we're going to get into that in a little bit. So pin in what I was going to (laughs) say. If you love our show and want to support it, there's a few ways that you can do that. Become a supporter on Patreon for $10 a month to receive ad free episodes with bonus content or you can write a review or rate the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And if neither of those are your style, you can find us on Instagram. Give us a follow and share your video clips with your friends. We are on IG as pop culture makes me jealous. In 2014, Marie Claire ran an article titled why clueless is important for women. The article highlights the strength, beauty, and natural tone of the leading female characters friendship. The article also highlights another really important topic. One that is still being explored today. Sex in a restaurant scene, Cher, Dion, and Ty are discussing their varying sexual experiences. And the article from Marie Claire highlights how the discussion is honest and free of judgment. There is no shaming of Cher for being picky about who and when she will engage in such intimacies. She even reaffirms how important the decision is to her. Throughout the entire film, Cher is in charge of her person and doesn't put up with anyone's shit. I'm looking at you, Elton. When Christian arrives on scene, she begins to feel things. But even here, she walks down the path to self-discovery. So I want to talk about this film as a female's anthem to autonomy and empowerment, because there's a there was a lot of that on the Internet. So it was like, OK, we're I can't just pull one article because there would be unfair to all the other articles because it's been written about a lot. So is Cher a secret agent for empowerment? I think so. I mean, and I think so much of this for me is that 
it, I didn't know before we were going to watch the movie and talk about it today that the director was a woman. Mm. Um, and she also wrote the movie. So it was written and directed by a woman. And this mm-hmm. is, a, I mean, we're still in a time in 2022 where there are not that many movies that are being written and or directed by women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been rewatching some 90s movies lately. Um, and this is such a stark contrast to something like Charlie's Angels, which was very clearly made by a man. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole movie is just a one fucking male gaze after the yeah. other. It's ridiculous. The characters don't feel like real people. I did appreciate <clears throat> your story ranting about that movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the I feel like it's a good sign about Clueless that I didn't go on any weird rants on my Instagram about <laughs> Um, you know, making fun of it because it, it really is just enjoyable. I think that the maybe it's that it's partly based off of Emma. So there's mm-hmm. a certain amount of like uh, character work that you could do when you're writing it. You wouldn't maybe manually have to do if you're right. writing an adaptation. But the characters all felt like people. Mm-hmm. And I still find that uh, women written by men don't feel like people I feel like I can tell when I'm watching a tv show and there aren't any women writers I mean I I will go on IMDb and check and then I was on my husband yep no (laughs) women in that writer's room yeah yeah and I think that Clueless really feels they she feels like uh she feels like a person like Mm -hmm. she's not a two-dimensional or one-dimensional figure of like a popular girl she's actually ballsy and the things that she says she's very biting Mm mm-hmm but not Janine Garofalo, like, no, <laughs> not like the portrait of what that looked like in the nineties. Like yeah. she still gets to be cute. Yeah. And sweet. Like she's so caring about her dad. I just, I loved that element where, um, and I I remembered that that was a part of the story and part of her character, but just seeing how sweet she is about her dad's health and then seeing how sweet, sweet she is about the staff's help when they're come to the house to work on that case. And she's like, we need to have, she's very considerate she's like let's bring them late let's bring them a midnight snack and you know daddy you can't eat that your cholesterol and the doctor's coming to give you a flu shot those very nurturing elements to her and I loved how she was so self-aware to understand that she kind of maybe was nurturing because she didn't have the mother so she became the mother um which I really I really liked how self-aware they made her for being 15. I just kind of assumed when I was 12 that all 15 year olds were that self-aware. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> yeah, not so much. And then the, you brought up a point about, um, shit, I don't remember what you said, but I was going to say, I do love how like, she's always very clear with people, even if they misinterpret it and she's not afraid to say no, that's not my problem that you misunderstood it or however Cher says it, right? Like with this scene prior to her being robbed and she and Elton are in the car and he's just like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that you were into me. And she's like, are you crazy? Like, no, (laughs) like get off of me. And I love how she just didn't have any qualms to do that. I remember now the gal who directed it and wrote it, she wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I was looking through her IMDb and it was really, it was really impressive. The movie, mm-hmm. like she did Look Who's Talking also. Mm-hmm. It seemed like she was big in doing comedies in yeah. that, in like the 80s and 90s. I mean, Which, it looks like she's still working, but just not anything that I would recognize. Yeah. Which is kind of a big deal because I feel like there weren't a whole lot of women writing comedy in the 80s and 90s. Like that wasn't really a thing. Um 
which is kind of a bummer because women can be so funny. And there's so many female mm-hmm. comics now that I'm just like, I will follow you to the end of the earth because you're fucking hilarious. <laughs> I think it's the combo too, of it being written and directed by a woman. Cause mm-hmm. I also recently watched 10 things I hate about you. Um, because there, this was like clueless was part of this whole kind of genre in the nineties of adaptations of, mm-hmm. of movies. Cause 10 things I hate about you, as you know, is taming of the shrew. Um, and I looked that one up because it, it felt in clueless, like you were on Cher's side, mm-hmm. like you were in the, you were in her shoes. You were looking at the world from her point of view. And even though you could see the things that she was maybe wrong about, I mean, that she was clueless about, yeah. right. You still felt like, um, I don't know, like you were on her team Yeah. and 10 things I hate about you. I feel like as well-written as Kat was in that movie, I felt like I was supposed to be on the side of the boys, like the boys that were at going after Kat and her and Bianca. Interesting. And when I looked it up, that one was written by a woman. So mm-hmm. Kat's speeches are great. Like she's got these great like feminist rants and I love that character, but I also feel like it's making fun of her and like, you're not you're not supposed to think that she's a great character. You're mm-hmm. supposed to see her as kind of like a ridiculous caricature because that's what the people around her treat her like. Yeah. Um, and it was directed by a man. That's really interesting. I really love that observation because you are not wrong. In my opinion, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> in the opinion of this show, you are correct. <laughs> Because it is like Cher, you're right. Like the whole time you're just like, Cher's gonna, it's, she's, you feel like she's your friend. You feel like you're in it with her every step of the way. You don't feel like you're trying to like fit in. You're just in. Man, that's, yeah. And that's a hard part. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, you don't want her to get some sort of comeuppance. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you're supposed to feel like that. I mean, it's maybe partially because it's based on Taming Taming of the Shrew. So like you want, you like you're supposed to want cat to get tamed and right about you and there's nothing like that in clueless you're just you're just kind of along for the ride yeah she does show a lot of character growth and i find it to be much more like positive like i kind of feel like cat was fine already yeah like you need to fuck with cat she's yeah (laughs) leave her alone yeah we love her (laughs) yes also i love letters to cleo thank you for being in that movie Oh man, I loved Dion and Cher and I love just how honest they were with each other all the time when Cher's like, would you call me selfish? And she's like, not to your face. Like, just... <laughs> yeah, it felt like a very true friendship. And mm-hmm. I think even though they start off um, trying to like treat Ty like a project mm-hmm. in the movie, it's obvious by the end that they really do care about each other because they have they have a very tearful fight and they have a sort of emotional makeup so it it wasn't just it wasn't like Cher does it out of pity or even if she does she does end up developing a genuine relationship mm-hmm. and I mean I, actually my husband pointed out that um this movie passes the Bechdel test so hard it's, yes it's the whole, I mean they talk about boys a lot, but they talk about so many things that are not boys. Yeah. Which I love. And I love that she's like, not, they're not boy crazy in the way that some other teenage girl movies are. And that's always really hard because it's like, you know, 
I don't know about your experience, but my experience in high school is like, yeah, I had crushes on boys and I was like, oh, I'd love for this particular person to notice me because he's beautiful and what have you. But it wasn't like my girlfriends and I were sitting around like pining and wishing and hoping like we went to punk shows. We were like, how are we going to get to the mall? None of our parents want to take us. Like, (laughs) how are we going to get to the book? Like we had so many other things about us that when movies did come out where the, the teenage girls were just so obsessed with falling in love, it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm obsessed with falling in love, but that's not the only element about me. (laughs) Yeah. I think it did a really good job of making her seem like a person. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is hard, especially because she is such kind of a caricature of Mm -hmm. what a girl from Beverly Hills would be like. Yeah. But I, it really was very believable and I don't know. And you just really, you really like her. And I was uh, reading up on Emma and I, Jaina Austin said that she was creating a heroine that um, basically only she would like. Yo, I love that. (laughs) I read something else too that was, uh, that said that in Pride and Prejudice, like the main problems in Pride and Prejudice are, you know, the Darcy and Elizabeth's like pride and their prejudice. Mm -hmm. And the main problem in Emma is Emma. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. I I felt like that was true in Clueless too. Like the main, the main problem is Cher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do love Emma more than I love Pride and Prejudice. And that's Pride and Prejudice, I think, is the one that they read in almost every AP lit class or advanced lit class in high school, which is fine. But I was telling my son, I was like, I just wish you guys had read Emma because I feel like that's way more of like a female anthem and like gets you into the mind of like, you know, you a pop, not better female characters. That's not the way I want to say it, but like there's just something about Emma that you're just like, mm-hmm, yeah, she a badass. Like, don't fuck with her because everybody loves her, but also she knows what's up kind of thing. And I wish that they would just dissect it in high school. And, and, and I think that would help a little bit with some of those gendered issues that come up when people want to fight about like equity. <laughs> I, I mean, opinion. in terms of the, the casting too, like, I mean, it was a, especially for its time relatively diverse cast I mean it reflected more what my friend groups looked like in that era than something like 10 things I hate about you Mm -hmm. there there are a lot of just like very very white movies Mm -hmm. from that period and from this one also but yeah yeah. uh, but that one kind of stands out for 1995 and same with um gay representation I mean I I think it's probably the first movie I saw where there were like the the fact that characters were gay, especially in like a teen comedy where that was referenced or like where it wasn't just coded into it, but it was made explicit. It's discussed a lot. And I, I loved that she was, uh, Amy Heckerling uh, was trying to make a movie that was like, what would Emma look like today? And I thought that that was great that instead of um, Christian, who's I think Frank and Emma, instead of him being engaged, that he would, that he would be gay thought what that is what that would have looked like in you know Los Angeles or Beverly Hills in the 90s I thought it was a great that was a great update yeah I agree which is a great lead-in thank you I appreciate you for that (laughs) the ringer also jumped into the 25th anniversary conversation of Clueless and had this to say quote Clueless is littered with contemporary cultural references and it unabashedly inhabits the specific 
cultural milieu of wealthy, if also tacky, 1990s LA. In doing so, it remains surprisingly true to Austin's novel themselves, which focuses largely on England's high bourgeois society and especially Emma, which features Austin's richest heroine by far. So I want to keep this conversation going about what Clueless gets right, not just in adapting Austin, but also encapsulating a period of time that still resonates. Because even though it's 1995, like it doesn't feel like 1995 to me. It was, I think it's because it was forward looking. At least Mm. that's what I felt like. I felt like the fashion was not what was in my middle school when Clueless came out, but it was, it reflected what was in my middle school after Clueless came out. Yeah. I think that was really well done in the movie. Like it, it wasn't, it was pretty out there. And I looked up the costume designer and she designed a bunch of iconic 90s. Really? Stuff. Yes. She also did the costume design for Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, <gasps> which I also consider to be a very, very iconic costuming. Yes. Yeah. I, I think in some ways she kind of defined that, like I said earlier, like campiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's part of why it doesn't feel like it's set in 1995. Cause it's not like, it's not euphoria. It's not like a hyper-realistic portrait of, right. Well, I suppose that's not really what euphoria is either. No. Um, <laughs> but it's not the, it's not going down the gritty road, right? Yeah. Like, it's not. And, and Ty, yeah, they smoke pot and Ty is excited by the idea of, oh no shit, you do Coke here or have Coke here. And they don't understand that she's means drugs and they mean Coca-Cola. Yeah. But you know, but still it's like that scene when Travis is like giving up his, um, his bong. bong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like kitchenware. And he's like, yeah, that's where I used to keep it. So, you know, there's still those elements there. It's just euphoria is like way more sad and intense and dark. <laughs> Yeah, and I suppose the costuming is pretty over the top in that too. It's just maybe less um, fun. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, I think that's part of why it it felt almost like a period piece. Mm-hmm. Like, like it had been made now about the 90s instead yeah. of being made in the 90s. Yeah. Because it was, because everything was dialed up. Yeah. Yeah, that costume when the first opening scene when she's trying to figure out what she's wearing and she's doing that computer program, which P.S. all of us who love clothing are still waiting for that shit to exist (laughs) in real life. And that lands on the um, yellow plaid outfit. That is iconic. And it's recreated so often at Halloween. Like I love how Alicia Silverstone on Instagram will reshare the stuff that people tag her in when they dress as her in that scene. It's just, you don't, you, you instantly know Clueless just based on that alone. Yeah. It was very, very recognizable there. She also did the costuming for, I should look up her name, but um, you can find it on IMDb, but she also did the costuming for Never Been Kissed, which had a very, like they, all of them had very like, I don't know, like floofy feather boas. And it, it was just, it was so over the top. I think that added a lot to the movie. In some ways, it reminded me of some of my other favorite uh, 90s movies are the Addams Family movies. And they mm. also feel very campy, mm-hmm. like very rapid paced in terms of the dialogue and stuff. And yeah, I can't really think of movies like that that are made now. I think there is sort of maybe a move more towards like earnestness and realism. 
Yeah. Although, I mean, not that sure is not incredibly earnest. I love that about her actually, but mm-hmm. it's not trying to be realistic. The movie's not being realistic. No, but it feels like it when you're 15 or 12. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't know any better, which I think is another really great element to um, Heckerling's storytelling capabilities because she can make you feel like when you're young, this is aspirational. And then there's an element of nostalgia to it too when you're older. Like that wasn't my high school experience, but it feels very familiar in some ways. It, I think that 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 campiness makes it feel more escapist you know mm-hmm. you really are leaving your world and going into this other better world mm-hmm. it it has nods to ours but it, they don't intersect exactly right right I do love that she kept Elton as Elton right like Mr. Yeah. Elton and like that was my favoriteest thing ever and when Clueless had come out I hadn't read any Austin at that point because no, I, I hadn't. I was, no. I was 11. Like who, who's going to do that at 11? Um, unless you're Rory Gilmer, which still, I don't believe. Um, so when I actually sat down and had to read Emma, I was like, look at you girl, like, get it. I love that you gave us Elton and kept him Elton. And that actor's super cute. He was so adorable. I mean, not, he's not yes. a cute character in the movie, but like him, the the actor they cast to play Elton he's definitely got that dreamy vibe where you're just like yeah you'd be a boy in high school that I'd be like you're cute but I'd never say it out loud because I'm the punk rock girl (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I mean he can't hold a candle to Paul Rudd though no adorable in this movie yeah who looks exactly the same it's unfair but we'll get into our love for Paul Rudd in a moment (laughs) um the other things that I really loved because so I made I was like I'm gonna listen to Emma on book because or on audio because I'm gonna prepare well I ended up not borrowing the right version of Emma for it to actually be Emma I borrowed um there was like a performed version where like Emma Thompson reads all the narrative, but then the scenes are acted out, which was really interesting. And I kind of enjoyed it, but now I'm just like, shit. And I actually need to read Emma again because I don't know how much is like was true because somebody, you know, somebody adapted it to be that. But when I was watching the movie last night and I had just finished the book um, earlier that day there, that scene at the, when, um, there's a dance. The Eltons have a dance after Elton marries Mrs. Elton. Are they married yet? Whatever. The point is, is that Harriet Smith, who is Ty in the movie, is like kind of alone and whatever, what have you. And then um, Mr. Knightley comes and like dances with her and like, you know, makes her feel better or whatever. And and I just love that they did that also in the Clueless where like yeah. Paul Red's like, hey, Brittany Murphy, like, let's dance. <laughs> And he just doesn't give a shit about how he looks. He just wants her to have fun. And I just loved that. It was, I think that scene was really great. And I really liked, um, I don't know, that just reminded me of, because Christian's there. Yeah. I, I really liked watching it now, like uh, how queer coded uh, he was. Yes. I didn't pick up on it at all in that era because I didn't understand anything yeah. about what gay people were right. like. I mean, beyond like my mom's cousin who was around, you know, but you, yeah. like, not like you can extrapolate, but there's just like a great moment in that particular scene where he goes to the bar and he's clearly flirting with the bartender, like in the very background, like, you can't hear anything they're saying, but just the body language. Yeah. You're like, oh, share. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she's like, look at how he just ignores every woman. Cause this yes, guy comes up yes. and like puts her hand on him and he's like, no, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he does that in order to flirt with the bartender. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the ways in which she is clueless in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed his character just in general, like the complete absurdity of him being like a 1950s James mm-hmm. Dean type of character was it was so weird and specific and then I really liked that when he figured out that she was hitting on him mm-hmm. he immediately removed himself from the situation like yeah it was it wasn't like he was trying to make her his beard he didn't mm-hmm. have any ill intentions he just thought like she was a really cool chick and he wanted to be friends with her yeah and I I appreciated that there were no, there was no ill will between them and then he ends up being like being her friend and shopping with her afterwards when she gets clued into what's going on what's going on yeah Yeah. I do love that you know what it's so funny because I've been watching this movie essentially my entire life for the most part and you know it's just so normal that element of the film is just so normal to me and then you know as I've brought other guests on and we talk about other shows it's not normal it wasn't normal like that's a very, that was a very, I guess you could, I don't know if you want to call it bold move because everyone uses the term bold and revolutionary for everything anymore. But <laughs> my friend from high school and I were talking about how we had friends in high school who were gay and just were absolutely like, we knew that they were gay. They knew that they were gay, but they were not going to say anything because of where we lived and like that. And that's, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. So in 1995 for to have this fully, fully, confident character and who he is like how empowering for people who might feel like they can't be fully who they are to see that and maybe you know not necessarily fall down the the path of being fully who they are but at least now they see it and they they can say oh this is all right cool I'm not weird (laughs) yeah I mean it wasn't I thought it was very telling that he doesn't come out in the movie mm-hmm. he get he gets outed but he's not actually free to be who he is he just disengages from Cher yeah. he doesn't tell her what's going on she kind yeah. of has to figure it out um that felt very of the moment mm-hmm. for me you know like it, it was sort of all communicated through secrets and whispers I don't know mm-hmm. if that's what it's like in Emma does she find out through the grapevine that He, okay, so Mrs. Watson calls her to the house. Does she call her to the house? They're at Mrs. Watson's. Okay. And she basically is like distraught because she's like, I have this thing to tell you. Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill have been engaged since you basically, you know, this past whatever it was, because what is time? And she's, and they're devastated because, you know, they all got their hopes up that Frank and, and Emma would get together and be a thing and he flirts with her and it makes Mr. Knightley so mad because he's like he knows that this isn't it's disingenuous he does no intention of being with Emma he's just basically using her um while he's at Hartfield Hatfield Hartfield whatever their accents made me confused um and I haven't physically read it in a long time it's been you know probably seven years and but that's not the point the point is is that it's this whole thing where Mrs. Watson tells her blatantly, like they've been married. They got married. Sorry. 
<laughs> or they're yeah. engaged. They're engaged. Sorry. And that and seems I'm... like a major change because he's not, that's not what's happening in Clueless. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not trying to like flirt with her. Mm-hmm. I think in fact, like I, I thought that that was what was happening in previous watches of the movie. And I was watching it very carefully and no, he just, he just really thinks she's cool. Like he just wants to spend time with her. And I really, and I thought as soon as he figured out what she thought was happening, he was like, he removed himself physically from the situation and was like, we're still friends. Right. Yeah. It it wasn't like, it wasn't like Emma in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a topic. It was more wholesome. Yes. (laughs) Which, which I I do think that they did take them, you know, there were some elements of Emma that they did sort of make more wholesome for the for the movie which I appreciate because you're dealing with teenagers like there's that age age old conversation of like you know teenagers don't talk like this and this isn't real and this is how not we we don't behave this kind of stuff and so when you have something that somebody who one has an affection for the source material because I think that's huge and then two they're nostalgic for an era like even though she I haven't read anything where the director blatantly says she was nostalgic for high school you can still feel it in the way that she creates these characters and sort of cultivates this environment that there is an element of nostalgia for her um I think those things make a big difference when you're putting something together and when people like this is the I'm dying on this hill too he's all that you know the remake of she's all that is that movie's trash because they got away from Pygmalion they didn't stay true to the themes and the core of the characters in Pygmalion in the way that she's all that did so he's all that was a garbage movie and feels <laughs> trope and feels tropey and feels stereotypical and feels icky and you know there's a, those elements too and she's all that where you're just like this is kind of icky but it still rings true to a lot of the stuff that happens in Pygmalion and with some of the way that the characters are. So it just, it makes a big difference when you don't get away from the source material. I guess my point is, is when you remake a remake, you gotta, you can't do that. Like let's don't do that. (laughs) Remake the original or retell the original. I think what you said about, um, about her, uh, like about a nostalgia for high school is even explicit in the movie because like through Josh, Mm -hmm. because Josh explicitly tells Cher like that she should be in, she should, she's in high school and she should be out having fun and Mm -hmm. going to the mall and going to parties and enjoying herself. And she gets offended by it because she's like, is that all you think I do is go to the mall? But you can tell like what he means is like, you don't have the responsibilities of adulthood like enjoy it while you can you know mm-hmm. oh that's a good point I think that's coming you know directly from the the adult who wrote it mm-hmm. yeah Cheese by Jewels offers custom artwork and original prints specializing in watercolor focusing on the human form and different shades of skin if you're looking for that perfect gift for a birthday or have a special memory you'd like to commemorate, visit Hughes by Jewels on Instagram or find the Etsy shop of the same name. That's Hughes, H-U-E-S by Jewels, J-U-L-S. We can't have this discussion without doing a few minutes of Paul Rudd appreciation. So let's just do it because (laughs) Paul Rudd, because he's Paul Rudd. He's the never aging man and his beautiful eyes and we love him. So let's just rap about Paul Rudd. (laughs) (laughs) I, part of what I love about Paul Rudd is just that he's very funny and that he's very nice. I mean, 
my husband was just listening to a Seth Rogen podcast. I get, I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up, but uh, on it, like somebody talked about having an encounter with Paul Rudd and it like changed the course of her whole life where he, he like, they, she ran into him at a screening of Inglorious Bastards and uh, there was nobody else in the theater and he invited her and her date to come and sit with them. So it was just like the four of them watching the movie and he convinced her to keep trying at comedy. And now she like lives in Los Angeles and is like, is a comedian, but she was on a date with, she was a Jehovah's witness at that point. And she was on a date with a guy and she was, I guess, after about four dates, you get married. So she was like really about to start a life in Philadelphia. And he like, and he just encouraged her. He was like, oh, you did Second City. You know, I have so many friends who went through there. And Seth Rogen called up Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd had no memory of it. <sighs> and I thought that that was so telling because it's clearly the sort of shit he does all the time. Yeah. I think that's part of why he's so great in this is because he like, and part of the reason I think he's aged well, I do think he's aged, but I think that he's aged like somebody who's very kind, mm-hmm. you know, he, he has like, the hat the smile lines and yeah. stuff and you can just tell he's a good guy i love it whenever the picture of him circulates where he dressed like weird al for halloween that one year <laughs> i don't think i've seen that <gasps> i'm gonna find it and send it to okay you. it's so good because you're just like of course you like weird al you're just a good human and weird al is just one of those innocent things that i feel like I don't know. I feel like he's universal. I could be wrong, but also my dad loved Weird Al. So I grew up on Weird Al. Um, Paul Rudd's also just very funny. Like, yeah. I mean, I always have crushes on comedians and, yeah. and he, I love his weird dancing. I mean, mm-hmm. and he's utilized it in so many movies and it was really cool to see that this was his like breakout role. This was the first movies of his that was released. And then he gets to do like his sort of stupid dance moves <laughs> in it. Like, it was nice to go like oh your whole career is based on that yeah (laughs) do you have a favorite Paul Rudd movie um man I don't know if I do I really do love uh the 40 year old virgin Mm -hmm. like I I think that he works well in an ensemble cast yeah in terms of movies that he headlines I mean I really like him in Ant-Man yeah I don't know I I think personally I like his um sketch comedy stuff like he did a lot of stuff on uh Tim and Eric Mm. um so there's a lot of like weird clips from that where he's doing his his ridiculous dance moves yeah I don't know do you have a favorite I have rewatched I love you man so many times I could probably act it out for you (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that one I don't think I've rewatched that one I own it but whenever it's on tv or like right now it's streaming on netflix and i'm just like cool put that on in the background and clean the house <laughs> he's great in character work too like he's in forgetting sarah marshall oh like my god little burnout yeah. uh surfing teacher yeah he's, he can steal scenes yeah like i mean because he's hardly in that movie but yeah like i remember him more than some of the main characters for real though he's just so cute and I just love him. And I think one of the reasons why I think I love, I love you man so much is because Rashida Jones is in it and she's also team black dad. <laughs> she's team mixed girl. We have something in common. So I love seeing like people like actors like Paul Rudd who are like in movies with girls that kind of lookish like me. I'm like, yay, we get leading men too. <laughs> she's great. I love, again, I mean, she's hilarious. Like mm-hmm. I, 
I'm very into comedy, so I think I would have a hard time picking a favorite Paul Rudd yeah. moment because of that. I did like that they brought him in to be Ant-Man for the MCU because I feel like he brought like a necessary level of like, cause you know, some of the movies you just like, this is a lot and please no, Dana, I don't know if you know this about me, but I literally put any movie that Captain America is on in the background, probably every weekend while I do stuff around the house. So like, even though these things are happening and I've seen them millions of times, there's still something about the element of how Paul Rudd performs that I think really makes it the movies, the ones that he's in so much better. Like I will yeah. sit and watch civil war all day. <laughs> I mean, that's just a legit good movie though. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of it. Yeah. I think he, um, he does a lot of kind of, like I said, with Tim and Eric, he does a lot of surrealist comedy and I really, I like absurdism. That's mm-hmm. one of like dry abs- absurdism stuff that like where you're telling jokes and they don't seem like jokes or they're um, off putting. Yeah. Yeah. He does that really well. I don't know. Yeah. Like, he, and- he appeals. He doesn't have any like arrogance to him either, which I really appreciate. Like when you see him in interviews yeah. and stuff, he's just like a genuine guy. And I think that also helps make him even funnier because you're just like, you're just like us. <laughs> it must be exhausting. I mean, if he's having these really genuine talks with mm-hmm. people on interviews and being really like great with his fans because I've read that he's like that. I mean, and or apparently changing their lives also. Yeah. <laughs> creating that podcast episode. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like that, there's a lot of energy that goes into that. It's not like mm-hmm. he's just passively nice. I feel like you really have to work hard to be um, present with people in that way, especially mm-hmm. with people who are your fans. Like, I, I don't know, I would struggle. I think yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I just think he's pretty great. I agree. <laughs> I'll watch any movie he's in. He's another one. I'm like, I will follow you to the end of the earth. <laughs> Cause I know one, it's going to be a good time. And two, like, you're just like a cool dude. <laughs> in Variety's 1995 review, they said, quote, clueless carries on the tradition of movies Fast times at Ridgemont High and dazed and confused and skewering the social strata of teen life here, taking advantage as well of the exaggerated rich kids setting where spoiled teens call each other on cell phones as they parade down the halls, end quote. But it's more than that. There's a social commentary happening, too, which I think, I, you know, like we touched on those elements like with um christian's character and just some of the other things that happen like the conversations about sex between d and ty dana thank you so much for joining me today to discuss clueless can you remind everyone where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online oh um the best way would be at the broadsides instagram account it's just at broad.sides and friends, I'm going to tell you, sorry, sorry to hype you up like this, Dana. No, no <laughs> pressure, no pressure, but it really is like, I'll be laying in bed and I'm like, okay, so let's see what's been on Instagram. And then here's all these like stories. Where I'm just like, I don't know where the fuck she finds this shit, but damn, I feel seen. <laughs> I, don't know, I just have a very bleak sense of humor. And I feel like, uh, that has really resonated with people in the comments. <laughs> so <laughs> I've always been like this, but I'm, it's nice. I guess that the rest of the world has um, caught up. But yeah. Also, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Omg, I love it. Oh. 
Anyway, friends, go quickly, run, follow Broadsides. The artwork on that page is amazing and it's definitely worth the follow. As always, thanks for tuning in, y'all. We'll catch you next time. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is written, edited, and produced by me, Julia Washington.